set up here, I encourage you to pull out your connection card. It's the white and blue card found in your program. And uh, please fill that out. Uh, If you are a guest with us, this will give us an opportunity to connect with you this week. And we'd love just to be able to uh, welcome you to the church. And after the service, simply leave that on the pew behind you and the ushers will come around and pick those up. A couple announcements, uh, just to uh, highlight here before we get into the sermon. First of all, today is our annual uh, congregational meeting, and so we encourage everyone to stay and to participate in uh, this meeting, especially if you are a member. Uh, we, it's important for you to, to uh, stay here and um, be a part of that meeting, which means no lunch today. And so usually we have lunch together after the uh, worship service, but not today. Which means that our young married group is going out to lunch. And so if you are in a young married person, uh, come and talk to me after the, after the business meeting. But we're going to go to uh, Chili's together, and that'll be our meeting for uh, today. We have some other things coming up. Uh, just to draw your attention to real quickly, ballroom dancing is uh, this upcoming Saturday, and so uh, men and women are invited, so that might be a fun time. Uh, Next next week also is uh, Danielle Hoxie and Julie Pan's uh, baby showers, so uh, keep that in mind. That's exciting. We celebrate that together. We also continue to keep uh, Pastor Rick and Amy in our prayers as they are away on sabbatical, or they're supposed to be. Pastor Rick just can't stay away. He loves us so much. Uh, But uh, no, Pastor Rick is here for our annual business meeting uh, today. Uh, But we do want to continue to keep them in our uh, prayers as that God would just refresh refresh them during this time away. A few questions here just to get us started into the sermon, to get us thinking all along the same lines. And so ponder these questions in your own heart. The first question I would ask is, do you ever feel like you are on autopilot? You know what I mean by that? You're just kind of going through the motions. Emotionally, you're not quite as connected with everything that's going on around you as you'd really like to be. Spiritually, maybe you feel like there is a disconnect between your relationship with God and the rest of your life. You're not quite in sync with God and something seems to be missing. How often do you notice God in all areas of your life? Are you intentionally turning your heart and your mind to God and His ways as you go about your daily activities? And finally, what would it be like to really journey with God? You think of your life as a journey. What would it be like to journey with God? The reason I bring these questions up is because these are the type of questions that the songs of ascent that we're going to go through during our summer sermon series address. The songs of ascent, which are Psalms 120 to 130, challenge the Israelites to have a a life that is completely centered on God. These were the songs that the Israelites would have sung as they made their way to Jerusalem three times a year to worship God. There were three high uh, points of the Jewish calendar in terms of 
uh, celebrations to worship God. And these songs were sung as they traveled along the road. But they were more than just travel songs. They were to help prepare their hearts. They were to prepare their hearts to worship God when they got to Jerusalem. But as we will see as we read these psalms together and study them, they are really psalms to help them to live their entire lives for God. Not just three days a year, but 365 days a year. That their lives would be grounded and centered on on God. And so this is why it is applicable for us. Because my prayer for my life and my prayer for all of us that as we go through these psalms, that we would become more and more God-centered. Have, a lot, have our lives more saturated with God in every area, all areas of our lives. Not just what we experience on Sunday mornings, but, what we, but walking with God, journeying with Him, so to speak, as we go about our daily activities. Last week we were challenged to take a sober look at the reality around us, the world that we live in. And it is a world that is full of temptations. It is a world in which we are constantly bombarded by Satan with lies and and, uh, temptations to move away from God. And so we talked about this idea of repentance. Repentance literally means to change our thinking. To fix our minds and our hearts on the things above and not on earthly things. And when we begin to do this, living this type of repentance, living a life that is uh, being focused on God, we realize that we live in two realities at once. Not, Not only in the world around us that is full of temptations, but we also live in the kingdom of God. A kingdom in which God's presence is near us. A kingdom in which God's truth reigns and fights the lies of the evil one. This past week, uh, I had the opportunity to um, uh, spend some time with um, our, my two kids, and uh, and one of the one of the things that we uh, we decided to do. Chelsea was working, and Kinsey was home. Dawson hasn't started his summer school yet, and so I asked Dawson, "What do you want to do today?" And uh, he said, "Let's have a sunflower s- a seed spitting contest." I thought. It's a great thing to do on your day off. So uh, we went out there on the driveway and we sat down, picked out a crack in the, in the concrete and said, who can spit most, uh, most, of the, their, most shells across that crack? And so we sit there and we do this and we're having a good time. And Kinsey's got her own snack too, Honey Nut Cheerios in a bag. And she's walking around and just uh, kind of plops down next to Dawson. And then she comes over by me. She's waddling around the uh, driveway. And then eventually, she, you know, not without, without asking permission, but she just kind of nestles her way right in on my lap. I'm sitting there crisscross applesauce, you know what I mean? And she just kind of sits right down in there. And every once in a while as a father, you just get this desire, man, I want to protect these kids so much. They're so valuable. You just long to care for them. You long to watch over their lives and you pray, God, just give me the strength to protect them from the dangers that are all around them. I'm reminded of when Jesus was on earth and the 
children used to love to crawl up on his lap. And the disciples would try to uh, tell the kids, you know, no, Jesus is too busy. Uh, let's, let's move on, Jesus. We got work to do. And Jesus would say, no, no, no. Let the little children come to me. And do not hinder them. For such belongs to the kingdom of God. I can imagine Jesus there just kissing their foreheads and tickling them and they're laughing and carrying on. I can imagine the feeling of protection that the children had as they're in the presence of this safe and strong and wonderful person. And they know that this person loves them so much. I can imagine the feeling that Jesus has towards these little ones. You see, as we begin to think about these things, we begin to ponder God's care and protection and guidance towards us as his children. So many of the images that we have in the Bible speak of God's protection towards us. One of the most common is that it is, we talk about God being our father. A father is one who watches over his children, wants to protect and guide them, watches over them. We think of God as our shepherd. A shepherd is one who obviously protects his sheep, makes sure that no harm comes upon them, that they're not attacked by predators, that he, wa- he watches the sky. If there's storms that are coming, he makes sure they get shelter. And then thirdly, another common image that we see of God in the Bible is that God is our king. And a good king was one that would protect his people in his country. Make sure that enemies didn't attack. Make sure that they were safe so that they could thrive. You see, all of these images point towards the providence of God. And that's what Psalm, the psalm that we will look at today, Psalm 121, speaks of God's providence. When we talk about the providence of God, we are speaking of his care, protection, and guidance in our lives. Psalm 121 uses one word six times. It's the word that's translated in, in my uh, translation that I'm using here this morning is, is the idea of keeping, that God will keep us. Some translations will say guard or watch over. But six times this idea of God as our keeper or God keeping us is repeated. And the message is clear. That God is our protector who desires to keep us safe in his kingdom. Just as we talked about last week, we live in a dangerous world. A world that is full of temptations and lies. But we also live in the kingdom of God. And as we live in his kingdom, he is our protector. So let's read this uh, psalm together. It is Psalm 121, the second of the songs of ascent. Psalm 121 reads this way. A song of ascents, I lift my eyes up to the hills, from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. 
He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, as we begin to think about these things, our hearts are just so thankful that we serve a God who desires good for us, that you are our provider and our protector, that you long to watch over us as your children. And so God, I pray that as we look at this word, that these truths would sink into not only our minds, but into into our hearts, that we might live them out as we go about our daily activities, that we would truly walk with you with confidence that you have our best in mind and that you are watching over us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing that we might notice about uh, God as our protector is found in verses 1 and 2, and that is that our protector has authority. Our protector has authority. Verse 1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. See, as the Israelites were traveling to Jerusalem, they began to, they would travel through all kinds of terrain, up and down, through valleys, through mountains. But Israel was kind of up on a hill. It was, it was set up high. That's part of the reason why this may be called the Song of Ascent, as they're making their way. But in a sense, the Israelites are on vacation. And don't you always notice beauty more when you're on vacation? And so they begin to sing. I look up into the, I look to the hills. I look at all of these things that I'm surrounded with. And I'm sure they begin to become overwhelmed just to think, wow, my God made all of this. It's so beautiful. Simply by speaking it into being, it came to exist. And you, get, you begin to get a picture of God's power, his authority. As they're traveling through the hills, they also notice that there are poles that come up on the ground. These poles were places where people would go to worship idols called Asherah poles. They go to worship Baal or whatever. And, and as they see these things, I'm sure they think, I look to the hills, but you know what? My help is not found just in the hills. My help is found in the one who made the hills, in the one who created the heavens and the earth, the one who ha- truly has power, the one who uh, has authority. And so as we begin to think about how God is our protector, how he is our help, we're given the promise that we can go straight to the top, straight to the one who made the heavens and the earth and the hills and all the, and everything else that is in the uh, that is on the earth. It's kind of like when you're in a s- restaurant or in a store and you're, you're frustrated and you utter those words, I want to speak to the manager, right? Have you ever uttered those words? I was in a store the, uh, just a couple weeks ago and I brought up a box. I was buying a pair of shoes and uh, the person rung, rung up the uh, shoes and they said, okay, you, you owe this much. And I said, no, I don't think that's right. The sticker here on the box says this. It's $15 less than what you rung me up at. And he says, no, that's what the register says. It's this price. And I said, can I talk to your manager? He gets on the phone and uh, he talks to his manager, hangs it up, and he says, you know what? We're going to give you the price on the box. 
You see, that's because the manager has authority, but the cashier doesn't. What if ever, all we ever got to talk to was the angels? Or maybe, or maybe in some traditions, they pray to the saints. But we are given the opportunity to come to God himself. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. A throne is where the king sits. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If we have certain levels of our, of, in our courts, you know, you got the, the lower courts, and, but the really important cases, a few of them might get to the Supreme Court. God is the Supreme Court, and he says, bring all of your cases to me, and I will seek to help. It doesn't matter how small or insignificant. Sometimes we just need to vent. And God has given us an opportunity to say, I am the creator of all the earth. I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he invites us to come into his presence. And so I ask you, what's concerning you this morning? Are there things that may uh, weigh heavy on your heart? Things that may even be keeping you up at night? You're losing sleep over. Could be a relationship. Could be a difficulty at school or at work. Could be a bad performance review. Could be finals coming up this week. Could be uh, any number of things. And God says, these people that you're having frustration with, I was the one that created them. This difficulty in this world that you're experiencing, I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he says, go straight to the top. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made all of these things. The second thing we learn about our protector is that he is not surprised. Our protector has authority and our protector is not surprised. Verses 3 and 4 says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither sleeps will, will neither slumber nor sleep. This idea of God sleeping reminds me of the prophets of Baal uh, who were challenged by Elijah to determine who was the true and living God. And he says, let's have a contest. We're both going to build altars and we'll put a sacrifice on it. And whoever's God sends down fire from heaven and consumes the, consumes the sacrifice is the true and living God. And so Elijah, being the gentleman that he is, says, you go first. And so the prophets of Baal put their sacrifice on the altar and they begin to pray. And they pray for hours upon hours. And eventually Elijah begins to taunt them and says, what's wrong? Has your God taken a vacation? Maybe you need to cry out louder. Get his attention. Maybe your God has fallen asleep in the back room and you need to shout a little bit more and the prophets are cutting themselves with shards of glass and doing anything to get their God's attention. And then Elijah takes his turn and he, set, and he puts the sacrifice on the altar and he says, just to make sure we know what's going on, let's douse this with water. And they put so much water that it fills up the gutters around the, the altar. And Elijah prays, and God sends down fire, and it says it consumes the sacrifice and licks up all the water. You see, Elijah taunted the prophets of Baal, saying, maybe your God is asleep. But this, 
passage clearly tells us that God does not sleep nor slumber. God is never uh, away on business. We never have to worry about him being caught off guard. On the seventh day in creation, God rested, not because he was tired, but because it was all done. Complete, com- uh, creation was complete and perfect. And so we, uh, we need to know that God is fully on the throne and he is not surprised by anything that may take place in our life. It says, he will not let your foot be moved. Have you ever been hiking and, you know, you step on that pebble in just the right way and your foot goes out from under you and you slip and you, and you almost fall or maybe you don't catch yourself and you fall flat on your face? This passage is saying God will not let our foot be moved. We may feel like we have fallen on our face, but God is still in control. And even these things that look so difficult around us, God is one that is not surprised by it, and he is fully in control. Our protector is fully awake and fully uh, on guard. Jesus taught us that we have a heavenly father who desires to give good gifts to his children. The third thing that we see in this passage is that our protector watches out for all kinds of dangers. Verses 5 and 6 speaks of this. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The right hand in, the Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew thought was the thought that was the hand that had authority the hand that was important, the hand that did stuff. And this, and this passage uh, says that God will not cause even your right hand to get sunburnt. Whatever is important to you, God's going to watch out for that. He's going to protect you. He says he's going to guard you by the sun by day and, and the moon by night. In other words, God's protection is all-encompassing. Whether dangers are during the day or at the night, it's all under God's umbrella of his care. It's kind of like Jesus says, he is the Alpha and the Omega. The, uh, the A and the Z and everything in between. God's protection is complete. Whether it be dangers of the sun or dangers of the moon. When I think about these dangers of night, I'm reminded of going camping. When you go camping, do you ever, uh, you ever get kind of scared in the middle of the night in the dark? We're so used to the, the street lights and everything else that when we're actually in real darkness, it's kind of scary. And you wake up at 3 in the morning and you've got to go to the bathroom so bad, but you don't want to go out there. But you can't hold it. You unzip the zipper and in the, middle of, and in the pitch blackness, you're trying to find your way to the bathroom. And you hear something off to your left. And then a twig breaks over here and you're convinced there's an animal there right about to pounce. And uh, there's all kinds of dangers. You're convinced of it, but most of it's just imagined. It's in your mind. And so much of the dangers that we think of in our lives, the anxieties, are not even real. They're what ifs. What if this person thought this when I said that? Or what if this uh, person did this? How would I have responded? If we think of what ifs of the past and then we play out all these scenarios in the future. And all of these things come to mind. What if this happens? What if that happens? And the reality is we can't control any of the what ifs. 
but we do have a God who can help. Jesus tells us, do not worry about tomorrow because each day has enough trouble of its own. And the Bible tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. So our, protect, so our protector watches out for all kinds of dangers, real or imagined. And finally, this psalm teaches us that our protector keeps our inner person. I want to explain in a minute what, our, what your inner person is. But let me read these verses uh, first. Verses 7 and 8, it says, The Lord will keep your life. Well, it, this, let me start that over. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word that is life here in our English in, in verse at the end of verse 7, is a word in the Hebrew that means more than just your physical existence. It's talking about your inner person, your soul, what is deep within us. And the promise here is God will not let any evil come upon what is deepest within us, come upon who we are as children of his, as created in his image. If we are to be honest, there are no promises in the Bible as we talk about God's providence, that, says we, that say that we will not have troubles or problems, that we will never have any difficulty. But rather, the teaching of the Bible is that God is always with us and that nothing will separate us from his love. Jesus never guaranteed that we would be spared suffering or victimization by evil doing. In fact, he flatly said, in this world you will have trouble. In John 16, 33. And in varying degrees, suffering and loss touch every life. Every one of us is touched by suffering and loss. But we are also touched by the presence of God in Christ when we have faith in his presence and hope in his promise. Vernon Manning wrote, If someone were to ask you what is one thing in life that is certain, you would have to answer the love of Christ. Not parents, not family, not friends, not art or science or philosophy or any products of human wisdom. Only the love of Christ. That's what we can truly trust in. There was an elderly lady at my previous church. uh, Her name was Clara Jean Browning. Uh, an old godly lady who had walked with the Lord for a long time. And, her, and while I served at the church, her husband passed away, and she was really lonely. I mean, she really missed her husband. She didn't have a good relationship with her kids, and they never came and visited her. And so many times she wouldn't see hardly anyone during the whole week. And so I just made up my mind. I was going to go and visit with Clara Jean every, I think it was Tuesday mornings. And I'd go over there and we'd talk and I'd ask her if she wanted me to read a passage from the Bible. And she would always say, read me a psalm. So we'd read a psalm and we'd just have a time together. I continued to meet with Clara Jean for a long time. 
And eventually she, she, she developed a disease within her, within her mind that affected her speech, affected the part of her brain that made it so that she couldn't verbalize words. And it happened over time, but eventually she couldn't say anything. Maybe a yes or a no or a hi. But she basically, uh, she knew what she wanted to say, but she couldn't say it. And so I'd go and we'd still sit together and I'd tell her about what's going on in my life or my family and tell her about what's going on in the church, but I knew she couldn't respond to me verbally. And then rather than asking her what psalm she read, wanted read, because I knew she couldn't say it, we just started at the beginning. and we'd, we'd read one psalm a week or maybe two or three, depending on how, much, how long they were. And so eventually, towards the end of her life, we almost got all the way through 150 psalms, all the way to the end, but we didn't quite make it. But I remember when we would read psalms like Psalm 121. In fact, the story I, I want to tell you, I think it actually was this psalm exactly. It was towards the end of her life. And I read this, and I was thinking about God's protection. And I wondered, is this true for Clara Jean? When you think of God being our provider and our protector, the one who has authority, the one who will not let our foot slip or, or be moved, I wondered, here's a person that misses her husband so bad, would love to be reconciled to her kids, and now a disease is eating away at her body that she can't even tell me what she wants. And so we read through this psalm, and I asked her, Clara Jean, do you think that this psalm is true for you? And in the way that she would communicate, she very rigorously shook her head yes and pointed to her heart as if to say, God has never left me nor forsaken me. That God has protected me every step along the way, that he is guarded, that he is guarding my inner person. Nothing's going to steal, my lo- steal his love from me. I'm reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or the sword? And we could add to this list. Shall a disease eating away at your brain? Shall shall a loss of your husband? Shall difficulty with your kids? Difficulty at work or school? Your finances are a wreck? You lost your job. Shall any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God's love. He is our protector. He has authority. He will not be surprised. He he will always watch over us. He will watch over our inner person. As we prepare to take the Lord's uh, Supper together, I again want to just look at these verses one more time. Think about, as we're going to take a minute now and Remember Jesus' death on the cross. 
his crucifixion. Because this really is the symbolic evidence that nothing will separate us from God's love. You look at that list that Paul wrote, how many of those were present at Jesus' crucifixion? There was definitely trouble there. There were hardships. There was persecution. There may not be famine, but there was definite thirst. Remember how Jesus uh, became so thirsty as he hung on the cross? There was nakedness, there was danger, there was the sword, and none of these things were able to separate us from the love of Christ. In fact, these were the very means by which we are drawn into the love of Christ. And so I'm going to invite you, as we have the Lord's Supper today, I've given you some, uh, uh, some space on your sermon notes, to write down your own list. If you were to add to Romans 8.35, what would you put? What's going on in your life right now is what I'm trying to ask. What are the things that concern you or that that you consider to be difficulties? And put those things on that list. And then I just want to challenge you to, to think. None of these things can draw you away from God's love. In fact, these may be the very means that will draw you to God's love. As you make your list in the quietness, as we have the elements passed around, ask yourself two questions. Are any of these things outside of God's control? Well, we know the answer right away in our minds. Obviously, none of these things are outside of God's control. But it's another thing to truly believe that in our hearts. When we're in the heat of the battle and life is really difficult, do we truly believe that God is in control? And secondly, can any of these separate you from God's love? Man, when we go through difficult things, we can feel awfully distant from God. But the truth of God's word is that he is very near. You see, we live, as we talked about last week, in two realities simultaneously. We live in this world around us that is very dangerous and full of temptations and lies. But we also live in the kingdom of God. And the promise of the kingdom of God is that God's presence has drawn near to us. And that he will never leave us nor forsake us. That nothing can separate us from God's word. I ask the ushers to come forward as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper together. If you are here.